So nearly 8.04 and amid growing public discontent over the handling of the coronavirus outbreak in China, hundreds of Chinese led by academics have signed an online petition calling on the national legislature to protect citizens' right to freedom of speech. The movement prompted by the death of the first whistleblower doctor, Li Wenliang, is just one of numerous disputes questioning President Xi's leadership there. And to talk about how the outbreak is affecting his standing, we have Professor Jean-Pierre Cabestan, head of the Department of Government and International Studies at Hong Kong Baptist University on the line. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, do, do you think that President Xi's disappearance and now appearance in the last few days has much to do with the COVID-19 outbreak or or even everything to do with it? Yes, it has a lot to do with the outbreak of the coronavirus uh, at the end of last year. Um, I think the Chinese leadership thought in the beginning that it could uh, deal with this um, epidemic in sending the Prime Minister Li Keqiang to Wuhan where the coronavirus uh, uh, broke out. And a bit like uh, in 2008 at the time of the uh, uh, Wenchuan earthquake in Sichuan province, when Wen Jiapao, the prime minister of the time, was sent on, on side to, to deal with the crisis. So they, they, they used uh, the same modus operandi, and they thought it would work out. Um, but there's, I mean, it's a, first of all, it's a much more um, international crisis. And there are a lot of ramifications uh, within China itself. And uh, I think um, the... Uh, uh, silence and opacity, which has been, uh, uh, you know, um, imposed by the leadership uh, uh, all the way to the end of January, is something which has uh, triggered a lot of resentment among the uh, Chinese society, particularly in Hubei province. So, and the death you've just mentioned, uh, Li Wenliang, um, um, one of the first uh, uh, whistleblowers, blowers uh, at the beginning of January uh, after he was. Um, um, actually uh, nearly arrested by the public security is uh, also something adding to the pressure on the Chinese leadership. Let's go back to his disappearance though, in more detail. Like, what, what would be the primary motivations for him to, to remove himself from public view? Um, well, I, I thought, he, you know, again, he, he was... Um, as. As the president of China, he was not the one who should um, go to Wuhan, um, and that's not the way uh, usually the Chinese Communist Party operates. And then uh, I think um, the the other reason is that uh, he, he, he himself, um, I think he, he he thought he could um, deal with the crisis uh, in the. Uh, just appointing new people, as he did in uh, uh, Hubei province recently, and uh, and uh, sending some of his uh, protégés there to take control of the situation. Now, the problem is we don't know the magnitude of the uh, protest. Uh, you mentioned the petition, which has been sent to the NPC, National People's Congress in China, the Chinese parliament, how many people are involved in that movement? How many people are ready to uh, really put pressure on the government to change the way it operates? It's very hard to, to, to say. And the, the other thing is the government controls the situation very much. 
uh, with the security apparatus, the um, the propaganda apparatus, uh, and the the, the Central government has sent a lot of reporters on site to write positive stories about uh, what's happening in Hubei province. And uh, here again, I think uh, Xi Jinping has been able to um, resume control of the situation. Um, and, and, and I don't think he ever lost control of the situation, actually. Now, there's been reports published yesterday or the day before indicating that he convened a meeting of the Politburo Standing Committee as early as uh, January 7th to uh, talk about the crisis. Now, there are a lot of, still, a lot of question marks because why didn't, between 7, January 7th and 20, January 20th, he didn't uh, say anything in public? Uh, what happened during those two weeks? Why did they m- make any uh, earlier decision to, get, you know, to to control the, the epidemic? So there are still a lot of question marks, which I think the leadership as a whole uh, has difficulties answering. Yeah, I mean, if, if it was South Korea's democracy, uh, based on recent history, he would be under intense yep. pressure right now. Within China's political system, though, is he actually touchable? Uh, He had been portrayed as having a a completely iron grip on that throne, if we can call it such, for an indefinite period of time. Yes. Uh, Well, again, I think the system is uh, is organized to protect him. Uh, I'm not saying he's not under pressure within the party itself. That's something we don't know. The, the party leadership is something of a black box. We don't know, you know, whether uh, there is a lot of pressure on him uh, to make changes. Well, we know that he's back, back in the limelight, um, and he has, uh, you know, clearly been able to appoint people very close to him, including uh, in uh, Hubei province. He sent someone who's a top security guy called Chen Yixin, who is uh, kind of pro-consul in charge of the, you know, um, managing the emergency situation there uh, for for a few, for at least for a few weeks or maybe months, and um, same for Hong Kong, where you know you just appointed uh, Xia Baolong, who is very close to him, to uh, run the Hong Kong and Macau affairs office in the uh, state council in Beijing. So um, it doesn't seem he's, he's been contested. It's been contested for some time because, you know, last into 2018, he decided to revise the constitution to be able to stay in power more than 10 years. And uh, so quite a, a number of people in China are unhappy with that. But uh, it's very much the academics, uh, intellectuals, some members of the liberal elites, but those are very much under pressure by by the Chinese Communist Party and by the authority as a whole. So, so again, I mean, they've been able to impose uh, a lot of control on the society and the media to prevent, um, you know, uh, to, to protect Xi Jinping and the whole leadership in these, particularly in these circumstances. Yeah, because what this outbreak has told us, going back to its outset and the, and the death of the whistleblower, Dr. Li Wenyang, is is that this government is without a doubt trying to silence not only critics but people who might be saying things that are uncomfortable. And obviously at a certain point it wasn't able to silence that noise about this coronavirus outbreak any longer. It's slightly worrying, isn't it, for the future that this is its modus operandum? Yes, it is, because um, if you remember the SARS crisis 17 years ago, after the SARS crisis, the, the uh, health minister of the time, Chen Zhu, said, OK, now we're going to change the way we operate. 
we're going to be much more transparent. We're going to publicize information as soon as possible uh, if there is an epidemic um, again in China. And that's not what happened. Among the, uh, on the plus side, I would say that the Chinese uh, Communist Party uh, informed the uh, WHO, the World Health Organization, just three weeks after the outbreak of the crisis on, on, on December 31st about these new, uh, these new virus. So that's the, just three weeks after the beginning instead of three months at the time of the SARS crisis. The other, the other thing which has changed is that the Chinese scientists have worked very hard to identify the virus and, uh, um, and, and, and got some results um, in, at the end of January. Uh, but on, on, on the negative side, the political system has remained as opaque and, and, you know, uh, and, and, and silent as uh, before on the way, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, uh, to, to deal with the crisis. So banning any um, information coming from outside of Beijing on the, on the crisis. One of the reasons I think we're trying to explain why they, this, they, they, they imposed this omerta, this silence yes. over the whole system until the end of January or 20th of January, one of the reasons or a possible explanation was the fact that the Chinese New Year was approaching, you know. Uh, right, and that, that was affecting many people in various ways, Professor Kabistan. I, I think we're just going to try and reconnect the line because we're getting an increasing amount of static there. Um, so please do... Bear with us for a moment. Uh, you can text us as well if you'd like to, pound 1013 for 51 per message. Do you see this outbreak as being a, a big problem for the Xi Jinping reign? Or does it rather just indicate the way it does things? And perhaps either way, it's, uh, it's, uh, it means instability. But, uh, but I, I would suggest the implications are very different one way or the other, i.e., whether the uh, COVID-19 outbreak is going to have a further impact in the future. Jean-Pierre Cabistan is with us on the line again, I believe. Professor Cabistan, yes. thank you. Yes. That sounds a bit clearer. Let's see if we can keep the static yes. away for now. Um, so, I mean, just wrapping up some of the issues that we've been discussing already, the, the, the crux of it is on social media and among academics here, there is this intriguing question of, wow, you know, could there be so much instability in China that there's actually going to be some sort of regime change? Will President Xi Jinping come under that level of pressure? My instinct tells me we're some distance from that happening. Um, but, but you're closer yep. to the ground on that. So tell us what you think. I think it's a wishful thinking. I think the regime is very strong. It has demonstrated it can impose, um, you know, silence and, and repression on, on the whistleblowers, on, on the independent uh, journalists. Uh, some of them have been arrested. Uh, Su Zhongjun, who is one of the key intellectuals criticizing the government, is now uh, behind closed doors. I mean, it's it's very hard to get in touch with him, and um, and so on. So I think um, the, the, there is little chance that um, this uh, epidemic. Uh, uh, you know, acts as a new Chernobyl for China for two reasons. First of all, it's um, a natural disaster, not a madman disaster. Even if the man, I mean, the the system has sort of aggravated the situation. And then the second reason, which is maybe more important, is that Xi Jinping is no uh, Gorbachev. Xi Jinping is anti-Gorbachev. Uh, he is a Brezhnev, much more than a Gorbachev. Someone who wants to put the lead on issues, wants to put the lead on any kind of expression of the civil society. So in China today, the state is strong, the society is weak, 
And I think the Communist Party can impose that kind of situation for quite a while in the future. Yeah, so so if anything, it looks like COVID-19 has exposed what's happening in China to a certain extent to those who might have been hoping that this wasn't the case or that... Uh, as we saw in the beginning of the outbreak, a lot of people were, were immediately praising China for being transparent, which is ironic considering yes, I mean, this, this conversation. Well, uh, one of the reasons is that the WHO uh, has been um, very much influenced by China. You know, at one point, Margaret Chan, the uh, former uh, Minister of Health in Hong Kong, was uh, Director General of the WHO, and China has, uh, uh, you know, cast a long shadow on the organization. And um, and China has been very good at pro- uh, promoting its own system as the best to uh, take care of the crisis. Um, on the input side, it's been very slow. I think we've seen the dysfunctionment uh, of the system. But now the way it, you know it acts and, and can mobilize a lot of people, including a lot of uh, party members, you know, there are 90 million party members in China, to make sure that everybody stays at home. That they are fed, that they you know they, they get the, the the food supplies on time. Uh, so it's it's both a very uh, very authoritarian but also very paternalistic system. And uh, for those reasons, I think most people in China will don't see any any option but to to work with it. You know, even if people don't support the regime, they would not uh, challenge it. And that's uh, the situation in China today. Yeah, and one one imagines the. Uh domestic propaganda network is sufficiently sophisticated to to come up with its own narrative to keep the people happy as it were um let, let's finish with uh, a quick question on south korea seoul has like the who been treading this line of, of, of trying not to upset china uh, no doubt for economic reasons as much as anything else uh, xi jinping was supposed to be visiting south korea later this year can you see that actually happening this summer uh, well, yes, it's very likely. I think the crisis will always well, hard to predict. I mean, when it's going to end in uh, March or April, but by the end of April, I think we should be out of it. Uh, and then uh, I think Xi Jinping and the Chinese leadership is going to resume their diplomatic activities uh, full speed. I mean, uh, as you know, uh, Xi Jinping is supposed also to visit Japan. I, I don't know whether it's going to take place at the, at the original time or not, but uh, again, uh, I mean, there's a, lot, there's a very heavy agenda, and uh, um, and uh, I think uh, this, the, even the economy will recover uh, rather quickly after the end of the crisis. But, but there will be political consequences for, for, for China within the Chinese uh, society, I think people will, will resent and the elites, some of the elites will resent what has happened and that will put pressure on the regime in the longer term, I would say, not, not in the immediate future. We'll have to watch that space then. Professor Jean-Pierre Cabestan from Hong Kong Baptist University, thank you very much for joining us.